Welcome back, everyone, to what is sure to be the perfect episode of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. This week, we are talking about Kurt Henning, also known as Mr. Perfect. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. Joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Uh, Professor, thank you for that perfect introduction. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, Bobby, real quick. Yes. How, how did uh, how did you like the Dick, uh, Dick Slater episode from last week? I see. So Dick Slater was two weeks ago or Malenka? Which one? Oh, wait. Hold on here. You're right. It was Malenka. I was thinking I was thinking about this uh, picture somebody sent me of uh, Dirty yeah, Dick Murdoch. Dirty Dick, Dirty Dick Murdoch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so what did you think of last week's episode about uh, Professor Boris Malenko? Okay, well, first of all, I like the <laughs> shot of Dirty Dick Murdoch. I really enjoyed the uh, Dick Slater uh, episode. Uh, I had some feedback on that, that it was really good the way, you know, you just, you was asking some questions, and I described some different things, the way he done things differently and back, you know, and um, the Malenko one, I was, I tell you what, man, I'm, Straight shoot with you. I really enjoyed it, um, and I want to apologize though for the dropouts for my internet or or what have you. Um, I thought it was an enjoyable podcast. I um, it was a pleasure to get to do that. A lot of people said, you know, you could just like uh, they could hear my voice. You know, the, the respect and love I had for the man. Um, it was nice to go down um, down that path again to uh, kind of go back to my early you know roots in wrestling, and have a met someone that you know gave me such a good break in wrestling with the training. So other than the dropouts, um, I, I did enjoy it, and I, and I hope you did as well. I did. So, I I was thinking when I thought I was going to throw that one out, and you were going to shoot it down automatically. So I was I, I was really happy that you wanted to do that episode. Yeah, and you know, when I heard it, I almost was like, uh, prior to hearing it, actually, I'm sorry, prior to hearing it, I was almost like, oh man, maybe not put this one up. I was kind of nervous to listen to it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and again, I was not aware of the dropouts, and you you told me several times I dropped out, and I'm not trying to just, just go on that part of it. But no, it was um, it was the right time, you know, it was the right time to do it, and um, worked out really well, I think. Um, I'm, I'm glad we did it. We may visit that road again. Um, so I might have some more stories to share about them. Um, I didn't get into a lot of funny stories that, that took place at the camp and stuff while I was training, you know, what, and we, you know, we were serious and we we're training, but it's also, you know, a lot of friendships and uh, the brotherhood of professional wrestling were, uh, experienced there as well. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, I did get one question on kind of a, a personal basis. Uh, somebody asked me if I knew if you stayed in touch with Joe or Dean Malenko. Um, I haven't spoken to Dean for several years. Um, I spoke to Joe a couple years ago, just via text. Of course he had, um, he had put something, um, in my first book after I dedicated it to, you know, their father. I don't talk to him either one of them regularly, but through, um, I talked to Sean Waltman last, uh, last Friday and he was going to see Joe on Saturday and word got to Joe that I said hello, um, there was, there was a seminar, uh, I think I mentioned to you, out, out in L.A., and, and Joe was going to be a part of that. So, yeah, I, I haven't spoken to either one of them directly. Dean probably in four years, and Joe probably about two years. Joe and I, we were talking um, 
pretty regular when I had Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke pretty regular then, but it, I haven't spoken to him for a couple of years now because I'm not on Facebook. Anyway, so uh, the answer would be not directly, but indirectly, you know, I stay in touch with them. Also, my friend Willie, who's out in Texas right now, I spoke to him about back in October or so, and, and he has spoken to Joe also. So we kind of just that little circle that, you know, now, um, Dean, I'm sure is, uh, from what I hear, still uh, very much involved on uh, producing or um, directing or whatever in, in the back AEW. I, I wish him much continued success. Uh, Joe is doing, um, I think he's done a lot of stuff with uh, cancer research. Uh, he, I know he's a pharmacist and um, I know he still does some seminars, uh, more so in a medical field than he does in the wrestling field. But apparently him and Bass Rutten done one, a seminar at Pancras, I think is going to open an office if wow. they haven't already done so in LA. Um, and so they're teaching shoe style and they're certified uh, pancreas instructors, and so that's what they were there for. And they was doing a little thing to honor Carl Gotch, also. Okay, so I do. I do stay in touch with them, but not not as much as I'd like to. But also, I don't, not enough to be in someone pain in someone's butt. You know. Oh, so, I got you. I got you. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's. Um. I, I had a couple things I wanted to talk about real quick before we get yeah. into talking about Kurt Henning. I've just been kind of halfway paying attention to some of these Hall of Fame inductees from the WWE. And mm-hmm. I think this year they're doing 2020 and 2021 simultaneously, I think. I saw a list that came up together that caught my eye. I'm going to read some names to you right now, okay? Okay. Uh, Crippler, Ray Stevens. Brickhouse Brown. Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Baron Michelle Leone. And Gary will cut a bitch heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard... I heard some other um, legacy names as well, and, I, and from what I heard, um, and we'll talk about this list specifically in just a second. What I heard was it's like they took a group of names that was anyone associated with you know wrestling, and they said, "Okay, let's put these people in," and um, some some were heard of, some were not heard of, and then some were uh, some were employees at some point or another of WWF. Slash E and some had never worked there, and that's where I'd like to take this this uh, this little list here. Um, Ray Stevens came in. What'd you say for a cup of coffee there? Um, yeah, early on. I think I think between San Francisco and Vern, I think he stopped in for a couple matches, like crossing the country kind of thing. Yeah, um, I, I know he did a little bit of an angle with. Uh, didn't he? Has something with he might have wrestled Superfly Snook. Uh, might have had a couple of matches, like you said, for a cup of coffee, and that was that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Ray Stevens deserves to be in any Hall of Fame. We know that. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. But it just kind of goes with what we're talking about with, with the way they do their, their Hall of Fame there uh, this year. Um, then you got Brickhouse Brown. You know, he was a Memphis guy. Um, he worked for the, in the Carolinas as well, I think. He was in WWF for like just one of the guys to get another hot cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, I don't even know. Um, I, I, I saw a match in a big arena with him in it, and I think it was a WWE match or F match, but it but it really could have been taking something from Memphis from, from early on in his career. I really don't know. So I don't know how long he was there for, but, but uh, I know he was known more so for uh, for being, you know, in the Memphis territory of Carolinas. Uh, not so much up there. 
Right. Um, he probably was there for a paycheck, you know, got his paycheck and, and, uh, maybe got a weekly deal, you know, at some point, but did, but wasn't on every week, you know, Dr. Death, I think, uh, Steve Williams, they brought him in. They was going to give him a big push and they done that fucking goofy, uh, bra for it all kind of thing. And, Raw for all. What I've read, you know, it wasn't it wasn't worked, but they was thinking here here's the man that's going to win it right here, and this will propel his career in the United States even more because uh, he's already hugely established over in Japan. Mm-hmm. And of course, you got two different kind of fighting styles versus just a legitimate tough guy fighting, but basically about gloves and and and, and being a hell an all American wrestler in Oklahoma. I mean, you know, but he was out of his element, and I think he had a old pulled hamstring i'm not sure he had, had, had a serious injury where he couldn't put weight on his on his uh uh leg he couldn't, couldn't use full he had to he was basically working off one leg and of course he got knocked out and that was come to death of steve williams in wwf yep. no no pun intended you know that that just uh is that the way you see it i mean that's, he was there and, and then when that happened that was it that's the way I caught it. You know, you take a talent like Steve Williams and then you shit the bed with this stupid ass angle. First off, where people really can get hurt, which is fucking stupid. Yeah, for people yeah. did. Yeah. And then, you know, and then to turn around and uh, was that Bart Gunn? Got his fucking knock. Yeah, block, Bart Gunn. Yeah, got his block knocked off by Butterbean. So it just mm-hmm. made everybody look bad, you know. Yeah, and I, I've heard Dan Severn take on that, too. And, uh you know, he he was just talking about the risk of injury, and um, you know, I, I think he withdrew after his first win, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then, like you said, they they set up. Uh, you got a professional boxer in Butterbean who was, uh, irregardless of what he looked like, a Butterbean. He had some serious fucking knockout power, and mm-hmm. and he hit him. The winner there was what Bart Gunn, and so he put him in a professional boxer boxing match completely out of his element, even though he won some tough men contest using gloves, of course. But, um, man, he, he got hit not once, but twice. Cause I think he hit him running away down too. And, um, just, just it look like that's some serious, serious damage, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, um, with the next one here, you told me you worked out in Cal- L.A. Yeah. Uh, Baron Michelle Leon. Tell me a little bit about this gentleman because uh, I don't recall him being in WWF at all. Right. Um, so this guy goes. I didn't recall the name, to be honest with you. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, this guy goes back in time a little bit to, to when the original world championship was still being broken up and, you know, there were champions here and champions there. He now I don't know much about the rest of his career, but I know he was champion in L.A. So I, I mm-hmm. that would have been WWA champion. Um, and then he went on to face Luthez. And after I think he was WWA champion for uh, just shy of two years. And then he lost the title to Luthez, where it was then folded into the NWA title. Gotcha. But gotcha. Baron, yeah, Baron Michelle Leon retired from wrestling as an independently very, very, very wealthy man because back in those days, pro wrestling was the sport that paid the most. Yeah. Um, and so he was just, he's one of those guys, you'll hear his name here and there. I'm sure he has a bigger career than I'm making it out to sound like, but he's world champion down in the LA market. He was a big fucking deal. And right on, man. And I'm thinking, wasn't that big a deal in New York? 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Now, this next person, Gary Hart, like you said, he'll cut a bitch, and we know that. Um, that's going to be our shirt. <laughs> um, but we know for a fact, you know, he didn't, he really had no interest in working up in the Northeast, as he put it. Right. Uh, he is making good money down in um, in uh, Georgia, then Florida, and then, of course, out in Texas is where he really, you know, become a mainstay out there and just basically made that his home territory. And we discussed that on the territory when we talked about how big Texas was and, and then how big, you know, Gary Hart was, you know, d- during that time uh, with, with everything from managing to creative to booking, um, TV, keeping the guys in line. You know, I mean, he pretty much done it all, but he, I don't think, th- did we mention that maybe they called and he wasn't even interested in, 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 in going up there for a tryout? There was something about a, Playboy, play, I know he's Playboy girl, but wasn't it something, you know, some kind of a gay thing? And he just said, I'm not interested in that. Something like that. I think um, that's, uh, I think the gay angle was like the first when he was still trying to be a wrestler. And yeah. I think that was like his first angle. And he, he, I don't know what was the whole thing. Like he, it was Indiana or Chicago or wherever it yeah, was he started. Chicago and Indiana out yeah. of that area. And, Illinois and Indiana and uh, Wisconsin, I think, is where he was uh, in Michigan. Yeah. Those areas. Midwest, Midwest. Yeah. So I think that's where he did that. And then he worked his way south. And of course, like you were saying there, Texas was really where he Mm -hmm. really got a hold of the business, you know, got the book and everything. Um, But he is a Hall of Famer. Um, Yeah. And it's good that they do these legacies, Hall of Fame, but I'm not sure who even benefits from that other than. um, Guys like us recognizing a name from the past that, you know, got into the elected into the Hall of Fame. I don't know that they contact these uh, these people's uh, next of kin or how that works. I don't know if there's a payoff involved. There's certainly not a physical wing of a Hall of Fame somewhere that, you know, has pictures of them or, you know, um, mm-hmm. I don't know what happens other more than. More than on the night of, you get your name announced. And I'm not not putting it down by any means. I'm just saying, once they announce that, you know, Gary Hart is now in the legacy WWE Hall of Fame inductee, um, what more happens after that? You know what I'm saying? I, they don't bring it up the next night or next week. And, oh, by the way, congratulations. You know, yeah. some old fart in Kentucky says, uh, man, Gary Hart got in the Hall of Fame. He's talking to his buddy in California. Uh, other than that, and a bunch of us guys are probably thinking that's great, but but up there it's probably like, who 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 who, who brought him up anyway? Yeah. And then they done forgot about it, you know. Yeah, you know this kind of reminds me. Okay, so I'm gonna just say my piece on this and probably sure. try to get over it real quick. The WWE, who went out of their way to destroy pro wrestling, who who pretended like if you didn't work for them, you didn't exist. Uh, You know, just all this shit they did. To then turn around and basically stand on the legacy of these people, I think is kind of like the Mormons baptizing the dead. Um, You know, they they were going in backwards in time and and baptizing their ancestors. And here and there, there'd be like a a Jewish person killed in the Holocaust that they were baptizing and taking from Judaism and putting in Mormonism. Against, you know, post posthumously without anybody's like go ahead. And they were switching their religion, quote unquote. And that's kind of what this feels like to me. Um, Also, I think it does to other people because I was asked 
if you and I might start our own 10 person Hall of Fame picks uh, on this show. So, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, I don't know. Uh, We could. Who would you who would you who who is someone you would let's just play that game for next two minutes, maybe. Who is some? Let's let's not say this is going to be our top ten or anything. But but who would you who would you like to see in, in a Hall of Fame or deservingly into Hall of Fame? Uh, who would you start with? Well, the, the very first one I would say is Luthez. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, the first one that comes to my mind. Go to Sheik. You know, Sheik, just, that's just a... playing a game. You know, just yeah. okay. Without sitting down, going, this is going to be our final ten. But yeah, we should have a top ten in the future. I know it's got some other shows lined up, but you know that, that that's two good ones right off the bat that I think everyone would recognize um, that yeah. would deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, yeah. There's so many names. I mean, you know, yeah. God, there's there's yeah. so many people I'd put in there. You know, I'm surprised. I, I like that you said this, but I'm surprised you didn't say Bachwinkle. To be honest with you, well. And people if, might think, well, Bobby didn't say funk. No, because that's not the first person to come to my mind to to be. I'm thinking back when I was young, who was an influence on, like, as a fan, like, oh, man, the chic, you know, yeah. so let's stop this guy, you know. Yeah, no, see, uh, I, I think Bachwinkle should be in there, but I don't know if yeah. it would be any sooner than Harley Race should be in there, you know what there I mean? There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Point well made, yeah. Yeah, but whereas Luthez, uh, Luthez is pro wrestling, or, you know, yeah, as for sure. Existed, yeah. For sure. All right. So I think um, I think we had a shout out uh, that we got a um, uh, review. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we did. Uh, Maddie's Daddy 0916 up in Canada uh, says, a great show by two great guys. This is a great show hosted by Bobby Blaze, who speaks from the heart and from experience. His in-ring insights give his opinions a level of credibility that most podcasters lack because he's walked that aisle. Longtime wrestling fan Jeremy is also very knowledgeable and is a great surrogate for the listener. Together, their chemistry makes for an always entertaining and enlightening enlightening show. So, thank you, Maddie's Daddy. I appreciate you taking the time. Other people who are listening, if you would, you know, rate and review us wherever you listen, uh, we wouldn't have to take a shit in your duffel bag. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Maddie's daddy. Uh, um, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Thanks for listening up in Canada. I know we got a bunch of great fans that do listen in Canada, and I appreciate that, man. Uh, I swear, Jeremy, I don't know that I've ever met anyone from Canada that I didn't like, to be honest with you. Um, I really enjoyed my time up there, and I spent time on the East Coast out in the um, – uh, New Brunswick and Halifax, Nova Scotia and PEI. And then also I spent quite a bit of time over in Vancouver. I was in Toronto for a cup of coffee, as you say, a couple of days. When I went to Toronto, I was only there like two and three days at a time and, and right didn't see much there, a hotel, an airport, you know, kind of thing. But uh, I got to spend some quality time out in Vancouver when I did the uh, – uh, mayhem game for uh, EA Sports, and I, I enjoyed those people. Well, I dug that West Coast uh, Asian persuasion vibe out there quite a bit, man. So I I really like Vancouver. My ex wife and I yeah. went there a couple times, and you know I think we walked every square inch of that town. Honestly, I mean because you yeah. can just go bar to restaurant, bar to restaurant. Oh yeah, it's nice, yeah. man. I enjoyed my time there. Yeah, shout out Vancouver. That's Damn. right, Maddie's daddy. Let us know where you're from. You know, you might be from another Winnipeg or somewhere. I don't know. You know. Yeah. But, well, uh, if he was from, you. I'm, I'm sure if he was from Winnipeg, his spelling would have been a bit different. And I could have picked up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, Bobby. I hear not only are yeah. you a podcast host, but you're also an author. 
Yes, I've got a couple books. Um, we're going to talk about those right now. My first book is called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boostable Travel. You can get that book by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. The professor set that short site up there. That's all you have to go to is just to click uh it takes you right to where the book's for sale at. And if you do that, the program gets a little bit of a kickback for now. And I say a little bit, it's just a little bit, but I'm glad when you buy a book, um, it helps the uh, podcast uh, affiliate account with Amazon. And then also I get a little kickback from selling a book and that always makes me smile. My second book I kicked out on too, The Educational Wrestler. Um, the way you go through that is tinyrl.com slash blazebook2. No, no, not hard to remember. Blaze Book One will get you the first book. Pin me, pay me. Uh, tinyurl.com. Blaze Book Two will get. It. I kicked out on two. The Educational Wrestler. Those books are available on Amazon. Um, you can also download several eBooks there if you want. But if you do purchase the hard copy, um, it does help our program with the affiliate account and also uh, brings a smile to my face that I sold a book to someone and hopefully you'll enjoy it. And speaking of reviews, um, please, if you read my book, leave me a fair and honest review on the book uh, at Amazon. And the same thing with this program. If you're enjoying it like Maddie's daddy did or Maddie's dad, I should say, um, you know, hey, write a view up there uh, to Apple Podcast or to um, iTunes or to um, Spotify or wherever you're listening to this program at, leave us a review. But yeah, be sure to get your book, man. Um, be some summer, lazy summer reading, you know, you can get out there and get you a suntan and uh, have you a cold beer and uh, be reading my book. Yeah. Um, probably make about as much sense if you do if, after you drink three or four beers, too. That's always a nice spot. You know, uh, when you can drink and still understand what you're reading, I have to appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm, it's just like you and I are sitting here talking. Mm -hmm. Most of the people leave reviews like, it's just like riding down a road with Bobby and Jeremy. Uh, same thing in my book is like sitting at the bar or riding in a car with me. And I'm just telling you my story. So if you're sitting here, you have a cold one on a hot day, uh, reading a book, you'll understand it, man. And you'll giggle a little bit, probably too. Say, some of a bitch, you got me. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> but again, uh, they're both available on Amazon, um, and and I've already given out the uh, sites. So uh, yep. go get your ass a book. <laughs> so get a get a book, leave a review, or we will fill up your shoes with shaving cream. There you go. Yeah. And you keep talking about these pranks. I'm just wondering where we're going to with that in this podcast, but I've got an idea. <laughs> well, you'll so, you'll under you'll understand yeah. as we get there. All yeah, right. So absolutely. we we are gonna talk about the one and only Kurt Hanning, aka Mr. Perfect, which I think is gonna be the title of this show, aka yeah. Mr. Perfect. So um Kurt Henning came out of Minnesota, and there was a long period of time there in the 80s and 90s in pro wrestling where everybody you saw on the screen came out of Robbinsdale, Minnesota, because the entire city became pro wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rick Rude, Tom Zank, uh, Brady Boone, Nikita Koloff, John Nord, Road Warrior Hawk, Barry Darso. I know there's more. That was just the, the yeah. top list that I grabbed. Um, I believe there was an entire graduating class that all joined a wrestling school on the same day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Minnesota I, guys. That's yeah. when I um, done the, the Universal tapings for uh, WCW. 
you'd go into a huge uh, studio, you know, down on Universal lot. And inside of that studio, they had three or four trailers parked inside of them. It's just super huge if you've ever been to a, a recording studio. And of course, one part of it had a ring with about 300 seats, but it also had a large, large, large room for a dressing area. And you could go in there and uh, everyone just uh, separate or segregate themselves, man. You'd walk in, you'd see a group of Mexicans on one side. Uh, you go down about, you know, 20 or 30 feet, you see a group of Japanese guys all hanging out together. You go down another group, and there's all the guys that, you know, from Florida that work together. Then the Minnesota group is like a crowd in the corner. I mean, it's like, it seemed like out of the, out of the 150, 200 people there, it's like 50 of us in that corner, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, then you had, you had different sub- subdivisions, you know, but uh, the Minnesota ones always stood out down there, man. Um, and again, you, you, everyone, it, it, we were not distinguished. You, there was no designated area that you had to go to, but whoever got there knew it's kind of like parking your car. This is where the Mexicans park. This is where everyone <laughs> just went there. This is where the Minnesota boys park, you know, and you go around and talk to everyone is a big building. How big is a, you know, uh, Square square city block, you know, but yeah. um, we had all the southern guys down in the far right hand corner. You know, was was uh, Nick Patrick and the Armstrongs and me and and uh, uh, the southern guys that would come through there. You know, hang out in that area. Um, so yeah, it was pretty unique. But the Minnesota crew, man, they they might as well have been a Minnesota wrecking crew because there was about fifty of them over there. Like I said, yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, and any so, one of them could cause a whole lot of damage. So I, I oh yeah. That's the thing. It, it, it was kind of like, it was honestly, it's kind of like uh, gangs. Is what yeah. it was. And like I said, you get you, but you cross lines. You know, there's no colors. You cross the lines. Um, it's just that uh, once you had spoken, to everyone or got established and saw the whiteboard as to who was going to be working who that day or whatever, everyone just went right back to their to their place. You know, click. Yeah, click. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, so, yeah. That's um. You know, I, I just remember that as a kid. Like everybody was from Robbinsdale, Minnesota. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, Flair's from there, or I don't know if he's yeah, Robbinsdale, but yeah, but well, he's yeah, from Minnesota. Minnesota guy. Yeah, and, and, and um, Animal Rogue Animals there, mm-hmm. um, different class, but still um, Minnesota guys. Yeah, yeah. I think they so, all started with Vern, right? Or the majority I'm of them started with pretty Vern. sure. And that's yeah. how. Um, let's go ahead and mention this. Of course, Larry the Axe Henning. Yeah, that was uh, Kurt Henning's dad, Minnesota guy, and. Um, from what I read, you know, he had, he had, uh, when Kurt showed an interest as a young boy, like seven, eight years old, you know, his dad showed him some holds and some moves and he was wanting to wrestle and wrestle. And, um, he did wrestle some amateur, but once he got to junior high, he really started getting into football a lot yeah. more, um, played football. But eventually, um, when he, when he decided to become a professional wrestler, it was Vern that trained him. So, yep. um, get a world class athlete and trainer and coach in Vern Gagne. Oh yeah. Um, then you're going to damn near be um, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, and you could you could definitely see the Gagne influence in his mat wrestling. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was well. You know, we'll get to that a little bit later in here. But um, let's go on to the next spot I wanted to talk about. That he literally was perfect at damn near yeah. everything he did. Um, yeah. you know, and I, the one I want to bring up is that he did those little vignettes before they brought him in yeah. and he literally threw himself a pass with a football. And I understand that was actually a, a true shot. That was something he actually did. 
Is that do you have you heard that as well? I've heard of that, and I've I've heard the basketball shot was the, the first take, and mm-hmm. I heard the bowling was the first take. Um, now I can believe those things that I can believe that can be worked. That you know you can throw it, cut away, come back, catch it. Okay, yeah. But from what I heard, you know it, it that's that's what you got. The same thing with basketball. Now, just one take. I'm sure they've done several outtakes of it to get the best one, but the very first one, he got that, the same thing to bowling. The one that got me, though, and I don't know how you would do it unless you're doing a Rodney Dangerfield and back to school, is when he went up on a diving board and did that fucking perfect dive. You know, here's a guy that's like 6'3", 230 pounds. You know, those those divers and swimmers are a lot smaller now, yeah. you know. But here's this big guy. He done that perfect dive into that pool, man. It's just like, uh, what couldn't the guy do, you know? Yeah, so uh, uh, Yeah, the guy was literally like the ultimate sportsman. Um, now, I, I think golf, maybe. The golf, they, you can probably finagle that around. They probably, I don't know how good a golfer he was, but I know he golfed uh, from what I, what I heard. Uh, they could probably finagle that around because you're not getting a hole in one every damn time out no, there. No. But uh, but the rest of them, I think, are pretty much shoots, man. I really do uh, from everything I've heard. Um, yeah, you know what? I always okay. So I'm gonna just briefly step away from that for a second. I always thought that was amazing that that you know the the football and the basketball shot. But did you know for the fourth Alien movie, Sigourney Weaver shoots a basket with her back to back to the to the um, hoop. Walking uh-huh. away, shoots it backwards over her head and hits it. And that was the first take. Is that right? Yeah. Man, I, I've, I've seen people can do that. I, um, I don't I don't get how you know where you're at well enough to do that. I just yeah, I, I just actually saw a girl doing it the other day on a video. Um, I'm not sure who it was. Um, I was watching, paying attention to our regional Basketball tournaments was taking place around here, so I was uh, actually state was this past week for the guys last week and girls this week. But uh, someone done a girl done it uh, walking away, but um, that's pretty cool. So Gorney Weaver did it first take. Yeah, that's, it can be uh, done. It can be done, but it's it's pretty incredible. But yeah, so Kurt Hanning was good at everything he did, and I think it showed. That's why he got to be so fucking arrogant, and that's why it worked so well because it was coming from a real place. You know, yeah. he really was that good. Um, and yeah, one of the things I had noticed over the last probably 25 years is I've seen two or three guys that seem to be kind of using elements of his character. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that. Tell yeah. me about this, this legacy a little bit here. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, I mean, one flat out, there was uh, was it Sean Stacy off my head. OK, who who ref, wrestled as perfect Sean or perfect Sean or something. But it was like he used the music and the whole bit. And he was like just taking the whole style. But like Dolph Ziggler for a little bit there seemed to be wrestling in a style, dressing in a style and carrying himself in a style that seemed very much like Kurt Henning. Um, I'm yeah. trying to think of some of the others, but there are guys I who was thinking, I was, I was, no, I wouldn't come up with Stan Stays actually come up here in just a little bit. We, we talk about something else with Paul and Kurt. Um, yeah, uh, Dolph Z- Ziggler, man, I'll tell you what, I've seen that guy perform live several times. He, he's an, he's an incredible performer, man. I'll tell you that. He, He's a, he really is an incredible performer. He's very, very talented. Um, you do see, see shades of perfect in him, that's for sure. Um, I was going to say, um, 
uh, Bobby Roode a little bit was doing the oh. Roode and Perfect. I think he kind of combined okay. a little bit. Uh, I saw shades of Rick Roode and him as or shit of uh, Perfect in him as well. Even though it was more of a Rick Roode, um, you know, he he done the gum. He does some things to it look a little bit like Mister Perfect. I thought. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So I can see around. That. Yeah. Yeah. That was just that was just one that come to my mind. Him and Dolph Ziggler. Um, those were two. I wasn't sure who the other. One. Sean Stasak, I wasn't familiar. I know the name, but I wasn't. Uh, damn, I, I just drank a glass, drank water there. Sorry about this. That's okay. Um, Do I need to call an ambulance? So, Are you drowning? No, no. It was okay. just like, what the hell? Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so you got number seven here. He and Bobby Heenan made the perfect team. I yeah. have to agree, man. That was that was literally magic. The two of them together, their personalities were both so caustic, and you know, just the the snideness and quick wit of Heenan compared, you know, right next to the yeah. arrogance of of Henning was just a magnificent pairing, a perfect pairing. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, those yeah, two guys. Was, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I couldn't imagine being around them all day like that. They they just had a riff all day. You know they did. Oh, absolutely. Uh, on those takes, one of restaurants, coming out of restaurants, uh, airports. If, if you see them two guys together, you just they'd probably just keep you in stitches. You know, I I, I run them both in short, uh, in small bits and you know. Uh, uh, a glass of beer here or, you know, a shot here. Um, not really in that group, but still with that group, you know, part of a larger group. And you're like, man, these guys just go all day, you know, riffing and, and uh, seeing them walk through an airport is just, if, if you, you know, my flight, I always transfer to uh, either Pittsburgh or Charlotte once, once, you know, depending what town we're flying to. But then of course they go back to Minnesota and, and wherever, and, uh, but just that short amount of time, just a little walks, you know, from concourse A to concourse B or whatever, it's cracking you up, man. And, and, and not trying to, not trying to be funny, just talking and having conversations and, 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 and pe- with other people involved as well. Again, just, just a group of guys hanging around. Everyone's kind of, you know, just doing their own thing, uh, riffing and, and all that, but them guys could just go, man. Yeah, those are those are two really gifted guys when it came to talking. Um, that's probably a big part of why he was successful when they gave him the mic after he hurt his back, too. It was, yeah. was just real quick-witted, you know. Also, I have to imagine that, that uh, Kurt Henning probably grew up with Bobby Heenan around during a lot of that AWA time. Well, that's what I was going to say. He probably, uh, that influence of uh, being around. Now, listen, you know, you got your dad that's in the business, but, but you had um, – uh, Bobby Heenan, mm-hmm. Nick Bockwinkle, and um, um, shoot, the third one I was going to say, uh, John Blank, uh, announcer. Why am I drawing a blank? Mean Gene. Uh, mean Gene. Yeah. You got so uh, just saying those, just being around some of those guys early in your career, picking up off. You know, we talked about how intelligent uh, Nick Bockwinkle's promos were. Yeah. You know. Um, and we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Um, and then also the same thing with Bobby Heenan, what we just now talked about. And then Mean Gene was also quick-witted and and, and uh, could verbally kill someone, verbal oh, assault, yeah. you know. So if you're around at it from a young age, especially if your dad took you to shows early on, uh, just in the local areas as a young kid, you know, you're picking up on some of that stuff. And you got some of these buddies that you're going to school with. You know they ribbed each other, him and Rude and – and Zink and Nikita, whoever else, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they, them guys were all, you know, they they just uh, 
you know, as competitive as hell and had fun uh, doing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, he's had to pick up all that stuff. Uh, a whole whole store, a storage house full of uh, ideas and, and, and picking up, you know, oh, yeah. the, the wit, the quick wit and stuff. Well, and so, yeah, just like uh, some of the, the pre-rehearsed lines that you're going to learn too. you know, just some of the stuff you'll these guys have used this joke for 20 years. You know, it kills because yeah. they've already worked it out. And now you've got, it, you know, you've got it to work yeah. with, too. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that thing like nobody likes a new joke because they suck, but you take the ones that have been practiced and rehearsed and refined and those are good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you played off each other a lot like that. Yeah. Um, that's that Lawler's got that, had his book of jokes or whatever, you know, you're doing that stuff for 20 years up down the highways to when you get, when you get to New York and just roll. Off your time, like I've been saying, I've been saying this, you know, drive from Nashville to Memphis, uh, from Memphis to, to you know, Tubelo or wherever. Now I'm now on WWF TV or when Laura got there, like then one liner is just killing it because he's done them for so long, you yeah, know, exactly. So, but uh, back to uh, uh, Kurt Henning, he was yep. the AWA champ, and you had to remind me about this. Let's uh, see, he won the title, and um, well, he debuted in 1980. Let me back up here just a yeah. second. Uh, I threw this out at you. I don't know. I heard he he was cool, Kurt Henning, back in 1980. But um, I don't know if that's true or not. It's just what I heard. But uh, he did debut in 80. And uh, in 1987 is when he um, beat Nick Bockwinkle. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that match, Jeremy. Well, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna talk about you two matches. You mentioned it before. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to talk about two matches here because I remember one of them. I don't know what night it was filmed. But I remember uh, New Year's Eve at my cousin's house, and we watched an hour-long Broadway between him and Bockwinkle. Yeah. And it went, I mean, these guys, you know, if you watch it now, it's a little slow. But these guys put on, I mean, you you were seeing moves that nobody did anymore. You know, Indian yeah. death locks and shit. I mean, you, you were just seeing stuff you had never seen, you know. Um, but they went to a draw that night. So I watched that about three or four years ago. Uh, one of my friends, Shank, Shank, Frank Shanley from New Zealand was in. And when he'd come over, uh, he lives in the greater Louisville area now. When he'd come down for a couple of days, we'd always take in a show. And then we'd just say, who's going to watch for the next, you know, eight hours? And we watched um, all Bachwinkle matches. Okay. And we ended up watching that that match. We, we watched um, the hour Broadway with uh, Henning. So but it's been a couple of years back, like I said. Uh, but it, yeah, it, today people may think it's a little bit slow, but it's when they put in everything, like you said, they're out there just working and working. It's, it's well worth going back and looking at. I probably need to look at it again myself, actually. Yeah. I mean, they, they leave it all in the ring. You got to keep in mind, Bockwinkle was 51. Yeah, I think 50 or 51. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's in great shape. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I mean, he was starting to slow down some, you know. He was looking at yeah. buying the Houston territory at this point and, re and retiring, you know. Yeah. Um, but so what happens after that is they start working the program. And now Bockwinkle and Henning were both faces at this period. Okay, which is weird because they were both such great heels and then to have them as as well, Henning had always been a face up to this point. Yeah, but Bockwinkle had always been a heel basically until this point. But so is there working this angle? They're working this angle. Now, Bobby, there is. I don't know if you're superstitious, but there's an old there's an old legend about uh, wrestling venues that if you chant the name Larry Z five times into a mirror in a dark bathroom, he'll show up and hand you a roll of dimes. 
Oh man, I'm I'm I used to be very superstitious, not so much anymore. Um, I've been in several venues. Um, I've looked in a mirror several times in those venues, but the thing I didn't do was uh, I never once said Larry Z five times. I knew better. Mm-hmm. See, I just did. Yeah, you can tell. I'm a little bit nervous telling you about it. Yeah, you don't even um, want to say the name five times now, do you? Yeah, no, I have always said it once, but um, L-A-R-R-Y-Z-E-E um, times five there, I've some kind of nickname go around it there a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so during the rematch, things were going kind of the same way. It was a lot of back and forth, and nobody was really getting it in the upper hand, and here comes old Larry Z. Walks up, calls over Kurt Henning, passes him something. Kurt Henning whacks Bockwinkle in the head and dimes go flying. (laughs) He gets the pin and becomes the AWA champion, uh, effectively creating him as a heel champion right on the spot. Um, they, they tried to make Larry Zbysko the Gary Hart there at the AWA, you know, they tried to make him like the root of all evil. Uh, I think Larry Zbysko is just too likable a guy. And as he was getting older now, when he was younger and he shit all over, uh, uh, Bruno. Yeah. But I think by the time he hit this point, he was just kind of like having fun and just kind of going along. But so this put Hanning in a great position. Now I got a question for you about the AWA title at this point. Do you think the title was starting to wear down at the point that Henning had it? Do you think the AWA title was was hitting its lowest value point then? I think it was it was at the very tip top of tilting over to the downside from there. Because, you know, this is 87. He holds on to it for a little bit over a year to 88 when Lawler gets it. So, yeah, I think they've went over the top with it. It, it has lost some, lost some of the prestige at that particular time. Because um, it had been such a big territory and such a big title for all those years with Byrne and Nick and, and the people in between. But I think at this point, you know, you're getting to the the other side of 85, you know, 87 here. So it's kind of, yeah, it's, um, it's lost some value. I think, I think it's still valuable, but, um, it's lost a little bit of prestige it had. Yeah. I, I, I would say, I would say for me, Kurt Henning was the last true AWA champion. Yeah. And I don't think that's not toward Lawler. No. I think when Lawler got it, I think, okay, it, it just that it just didn't mean as much as it did even when Henny had it. You know what I'm saying? I think yeah. it was on its way. Then you're you're starting going downhill really quick. I think they had peaked um, and it was going over Red Hill. Henny got it and it was just going to slide a little bit. And that's not. I think that's more so to do with the business than it was uh, to do with the actual title order performers, um, the guys that had the, the belt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and I can't believe I just now said performers, but, you know, uh, the, the guys that had the champs that had that belt, I don't think it has a reflection of them at all. I think it was an overall reflection of what was going on in the wrestling world because of uh, Vince, you know, doing his thing and, and everyone was rushing around to uh, – uh, you know, get their shit together. Of course, the Carolinas was still doing really, really good. Uh, a lot more popular. Uh, they was hanging with them, you know, for, you know, 86, 87, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, AWO is kind of, you know, pushing it back a little bit there. Yeah, that's, that's I would say, kind of when it slid. You know, and for me, Jerry Lawler was never in, you know, like 
I, I realized Memphis was quote unquote part of the AWA kind of, but for me, Lawler was never an AWA guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. In my head, right, I just, yeah. I, yeah. So it's kind of like just putting your, it, it's, it's kind of like when the Roman army filled up with Visigoth soldiers. It's, you yeah. know, yeah, it's just kind of no longer what it was. Um, okay. So yeah, this is one that we've kind of been playing with, but I'm sure you know more about it than I did. Uh, you, you worked around Kurt Henning for a little while. Yeah. Um, now there's, there's a rumor that Kurt Henning was a great practical joker. Yeah, um, he was among the great practical jokers or rivers. Um, you got some guys that were just in a league of their own. Um, Owen Hart, Mr. Fuji, Dynamite Kid, and Kurt Henning. Um, they were all masters of the rib. Uh, you know, Owens were like, you know, more funny and fun setting people up and stuff when I hear. Dynamite was a little bit more personal in the way he did his. And Fuji, I think, was just downright nasty sometimes the way he done his. Kurt was a little bit of everything, um, just fun. And, and um, I, I, I know of a couple of them. Uh, you mentioned Stan Stazak, mm-hmm. I guess, over at uh, on a tour in UK. Um, also, there's always a there can always be a fall guy in this. So it, I think uh, X Pac was a small part of this. I'm not sure how it happened, but apparently they took his. Um, it was thought it was X or one two three kid, but it was um, uh, Henning got a hold of um, the uh, passport and burned it and then stuck it inside a suitcase. And so they were on the day to come back to the day they were going to come the night before. So the day they came back to the U.S. Um, is at the airport and he opens up his uh, case and there's his passport uh, passport burnt to a crisp. Holy um, shit. As, yeah, that's just one of them. Um, I'll go ahead and mention this one, I guess, because you've got, uh, did, did him and Brock uh, get Brock fired? I guess that was the plane flight from hell that um, Henning decided at 35, that he says he Pete, Pete Brock Lesnar at 35,000 feet. I guess they were fighting and got really close to the exit, you know, and just wrestling up in an airplane, you know, got close to the exit uh, doors there, um, kind of got rowdy, got out of hand. Um, so that that was uh, certainly one of them. Um, the bucket under the ring. Apparently, um, Ultimate Warrior was going to come out from underneath the ring, and uh, Kurt Henning decided to take a big shit and fill this bucket up with it. And so once, once uh, you know, uh, Warrior got underneath the ring, um, he couldn't come back out because the audience were coming back in that would expose the whole gimmick. And so he had to sit there with the uh, bucket of crap that um, Henny had taken. Uh, I think oh, he stayed in the ring there that bucket of crap for like three hours. Um, now, uh, there's different variation on some of these. Uh, some will say he did it another way uh, where he and um, Nord or someone was supposed to be at the ring with the warrior and, and Henning took the shit and, and left it there for him. But from what I heard, it was the one where he is he knew he's gonna he knew he's gonna be underneath that ring and he put it underneath there and Warrior couldn't come back out of him. Oh so my um, God. another one, um he gave um Marty Janetti tells one. Um he he said Marty said he never got him again after this because if a lot of times you go along with it, you know, of course now I'm not saying I, I want to sit underneath a, a ring. 
Uh, this hot and loud and noisy underneath of there, and you had that smell to it. My God, you know. But um, apparently, Janetti, jo- uh, just wore one of the more funner ones. Uh, he woke up running late. He went to grab his bags and his bag. And I know Kurt had um, played with chains and locks. Cause I'm going to tell you one that I saw personally too. But um, he locked. Um, I think he locked. Uh, he even locked Bachwinkle's um, car door, put a padlock on his car door. And when, when Bachwinkle looked in the car, I think he had uh, some locks on all his bags that were in the car too. But on the one on Janetti, he had locked um, the drawer uh, from the um, dresser to his bag. And so Janetti just pulls the drawer out of the dresser and shows up at the airport with, with his uh, duffel bag with the drawer <laughs> attached to it. So, so Henning was just laughing. They looked at each other. He knew he, he knew who did it. So, uh, of course, they don't let him on a flight because once he gets on a flight, the um, uh, the overhead is not big enough to hold the bag and the drawer from the hotel. Yeah. So he comes back off the flight, and of course, they get someone in the airport to. Uh, they miss that flight to catch the next one, uh, but. Um, Someone from security, I guess, came in and brought the lock and, and, and ended up cutting the uh, lock off the, off the uh, drawer. So uh, hitting this, he, way Janetti says, he said he never, you know, he never messed with him again because he just thought it was so funny that, that he was, you know, he was just as goofy enough to go with it, you know. Um, when I was in San, I went to San Bernardino and I only been with the company about three or about, about a month rather. And uh, it was about three or four weeks, but yeah, about a month. And, um, for some odd reason, where I was sitting at, I wasn't sitting around anyone or anything. I just I chose a seat when I got there. And different people, like I said, mentioned at university, sitting in different places. Um, I went to catering, whatever, come back, and um, Car Henning was locked up there beside me. And um, I didn't think anything of it. You know, I just, people put their stuff where they put their stuff at. And um, that's, you know, kind of one of the rules, too, is you don't mess with other people. You know, if it's not yours, don't touch it, yeah. kind of thing. And uh, so I just, like, okay, and I've spoken to everyone. I, like I said, I've been there about, well, I've been there about three three weeks down at the Universal before I flew out there. So I've been around you guys quite a bit for that one-month period. And um, I get I get done with my match. Well, I see Mongo coming around a couple of times, and um, I, I see some things going on, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be a stooge either. I just don't, because I don't know what exactly is going on. But, but uh, I come back from my match, and I look over at Henning's bag, um, has uh, locks on it with a chain around it. And then there's a, a chain to the actual locker with a lock on it. So it's, it's the handle's locked with a padlock. The uh, the chain goes around that, and then it goes up to the locker, and it's locked into that lock, too. So there's like two locks involved in a chain, and um, pretty elaborate looking. And uh, I'm like, fuck, I'm just taking my boots off here, and here comes hitting out of his match or wherever he had, you know, and I'm like, he just looks at me, man. I'm like, fuck, if he thinks I've done this, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I was getting nervous. Like, oh, man, I hope he is. And the thing is, I didn't see one done. Like I said, uh, Mongo looks suspicious. I'm just saying, you know, at that point, I, I just know Mongo had looked suspicious. And uh, Mongo's about half ass crazy anyway, you know, played in NFL 15 years. You, you got to be, you know. Yeah. And um, anyway, I was like, oh, man, I don't want to be anywhere near this or around this. And so um, Kurt just looks at me, you know, and he, 
And I, I just give him that look. He must have knew what I was going to say. I didn't, you know, like, uh, man, I didn't do it, you know. And I wasn't going to stooge. He went out that I didn't see because I didn't see one. And uh, he just gave me this look and started well, smiling. He goes, he goes, hey, man, he goes, I already know who did this. He goes, we've been doing this stuff for years. He goes, he's got one coming, let me tell you. It was Mongo's who it was. He, knew, he, didn't, he didn't knew who it was. But he also knew I had that look like, man, I ain't fucking with you, dude. You know, I'm just so here putting my stuff on. But he, he knew right away, like, you know, if he was cool about it, I'll say that. You know, like, I already know who done this, and they've got it coming back. Uh, that's one on, one on me. Uh, the other one was uh, – uh, Save this one for last. Apparently, he gave Yokozuna uh, <laughs> some chocolate that was laced with laxatives on a flight. Oh my god! And, um, you know, you imagine a five hundred pound man. And this came from several sources. I double checked this one here, and I'll stop with the ribs after this. But uh, apparently, you know, Yoko getting back here to the bathroom was you know problem enough. But the the staff had put newspapers all over the bathroom floor. And uh, held up towels in front of it so people wouldn't be wouldn't be able to see him in there making the mess that he made. So I guess he got Yoko with the uh, old laxatives um, and the chocolate bar trick. So did that man anyway, even fit in an airplane bathroom? Well, that's the thing. I don't know where, I, when they said it. The article said he put newspapers all over the floor. I'm just wondering if he has turned around and shit into the newspapers. You know. As the people held the towels up in the back, so they wouldn't oh, see what he was doing. Because I don't know if he was even in 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 up in the bathroom. He could have been just shitting into the floor in the bathroom that they had put newspapers down for. But nonetheless, uh, that's just a few of the ribs I had heard about uh, either firsthand, and then a couple of them I, I looked up. Uh, the Marty Janetti was online telling it, just telling funny, you know, felt telling funny stories. Uh, but yeah, um, great river man. Um, like I said, that now you ask, I'm not sure, I guess, did Brock get fired for that fight up in the, uh, the plane trip from hell or not? Did I think, he? I think Kurt got fired for it. Kurt got fired. Okay. Yeah. What? Sure. Yeah. I think he was in a drunken state, um, and, um, challenged Brock or had been messed with Brock and Brock had enough and they just got up there and kind of, you know, amateur style mm-hmm. and started getting into a fight. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of um, get the feeling Kurt Hanning wasn't afraid of anybody. Now, you know what, dude, if you, that, here's one thing, I, I doubt it. I'll tell you that much right now, I doubt it. Yeah. And if you saw him, Kurt Henning was one of these guys, until you saw him in person, you don't realize how big he is. And what. And he was actually, he, he was built just about damn near perfect, I'm telling you. He was about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, uh, good thick neck, good look to him, uh, shoulders just right, big arms, but not overly bulky. Uh, big chest, but not overly huge, smaller waist, big thighs, good cat. He was built very, very good. Uh, he was built like a fucking athlete. Tell you, I'm telling you, he, he was built like an athlete yeah, should be he built. Absolutely was. Um, no, not no, not a lot of excess body fat, but just just enough that you know. Okay, um, you can see the definition is muscles, but not down to that you know four or five percent bodybuilding type. That that's you know spooky, scary that away. That you know, huh, you're gonna rip a vein out or something, but just enough to show you, you know. So, uh, his look in itself was uh, uh, 
as a big, strong guy, you just you wouldn't want to fuck with him either, you know. Yeah. So um, as a fan who, you know, obviously I never met the man, you know, whatever. Uh, you see him on TV. He always looked like a smaller guy on TV, especially once he hit mm-hmm. the WWF, because that was the yeah. end of fucking 300 pounders, blah, blah, blah. Um, one thing you got to understand real quick is every one of my dad's stories involves a bar or a casino or a cowboy <laughs> of some kind. Um, so, you know, my dad played dice and gambled a lot and blah, blah, blah. Now, I don't remember if it was him or a friend of his or who, but somebody either was at a table or walked by a table where Kurt Henning was playing something. And he said, you'll never fucking believe it. He goes, but this guy front to back, his chest to his back (laughs) is like a fucking Cadillac. You have no idea how fucking big this guy is until you see him in person. Yeah, you just don't. Yeah, that's you know, when you were saying that, you know, I was thinking of that story because the guy was just like or my dad or whoever it was. I remember he was like, you know, shoulders were this wide. And it was like that guy about the fish that got away, you know. No, I was surprised when I first saw him in person. I was like, holy shit, he's big, man. Yeah, Uh, because on TV again, I didn't ever think he was really that big where I've seen big guys on TV and I've seen big guys in person and vice versa. You know, and I was like, man, he's way bigger than what people think. So, yeah, for sure. Well, um, you know, when I first saw him, he was Scott Hall's tag team partner and he yeah. was still really young. So, you know, yeah. they look like Batman and Robin. You know, Scott Hall looked like right. a full grown man. And then Kurt oh, Hennig. Yeah, he, was, yeah. he was stud, man. He yeah. was a grown man, grown man at that time. And, and, and Kurt Hennig was just young, you know, young, young in his late, late, well, he'd be in his early 20s, I guess. I think he'd yeah, been, yeah. Uh, they but were, he, and they were tag team champions of AWA in 83, I think. Yes, they so. beat they beat Mr. Electricity and, oh, who was his tag team partner? Because they got it from the Road Warriors. Steve yeah. Regal and the oh, other. Oh, uh, Jimmy Garvin. Jimmy Garvin, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's who, that's who they got it from. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so, okay, let's go on to this next piece here. You were in a tag yeah. match. Okay, I, I got two questions for you going into this, okay? Okay. You were in a tag match with Perfect and Bobby Duncan Jr., okay? Mm-hmm. Of course, Bobby Duncan Sr. was part of the original Heenan family. Okay. Um. So was Kurt, or so was uh, Nick Bockwinkle. Nick Bockwinkle lost the AWA title to Kurt Henning, so you had a whole bunch of, like, old-school connections in that match. Who's Who was your tag team partner? Um, okay. Someone pointed this out to me when I mentioned for, I think it was, um, Lanny Lane. I could okay. be wrong on that. It was, there were three guys. Um, it wasn't Lodi. Um, and then Dave Burkhead, it was using him with me for a while towards the end, but I think that was the match. Uh, it was Lanny Lane and myself, uh, is who, who I'm, who I'm thinking was the tag match. Okay. Um, and I, and I could be wrong, because uh, Barry Horvitz uh, comes to mind as well. And I can't remember who they put me in there with, because I'll tell you, it was really quick. Um, and what happened was, um, uh, you're going to, they're, doing the, um, they're doing the gimmick that you're going to bring up next. Um, if we go ahead and mention it here, the West Texas Outlaws. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, they're doing rap as crap and all that. And it's one of those things that, um, you know, you got five minutes and then you get to gorilla position. It's like, okay, you got three minutes. And basically we got there, we had like three minutes. And the only thing we had said was um, uh, 
Bobby, uh, I was with Kurt, and I said, man, whatever you want to do. And he goes, uh, what is blah, blah, blah. And basically, I grabbed a headlock on him or something to get the advantage for a second. And he goes, Bobby will come in. Uh, I'll, I'll reverse it, watch his boot or whatever, tag out. You know, so it's something real, really quick. And I, I swear I want to think it was Barry, but I could be wrong with basics. So that's what happened. You know, Kurt and I locked up. Um, I don't know. We might have done a switch or something here or there. And I ended up grabbing him, and when I did, he shot me off and dropped down or something and dunked him from outside. He hit me in the back boot, spun around, fed, get out, you know. So it wasn't a whole big deal. Um, wasn't, a, wasn't a big match, you know, as far as for us. It was it was just um, pretty much a, a little offense, if any, for a squash match more than sure. anything. Because um, they were the ones getting a push. But, again, we had – it's one of those things you get, oh, you know, you got seven minutes. We need you guys to do this, this, and this. And you can do some stuff. Uh, oh, you got five minutes. And then when you get up there, um, hey, give us three, you know. And, uh, okay, this is what you can do in three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So everyone's going to get their shit in, which, you know, everyone got to do something, but wasn't much. Um so, okay. yeah, that was part of that West Texas Outlaws. Um, so, my other question for you was, the thing you did with your hands on the way to the ring, what was that? Was that like a gang sign or something? Mine? Yeah. Mine was a Z. That was just a blaze. Okay. You know, and what happened was I was up in Canada, and uh, they said, you know, do something with your hands. Uh, always be moving, you know, come to the ring, give them something. And I said, um you know, I, I I did that little. I like made a Z sign, like kind of like a karate guy would or something, uh, but it was supposed to be like from the blaze. And so they the blaze. I'd be not doing the sign. Now um, I I told it has been said that I did it to honor some uh, Tibetan monks, um, and that may or may not be true, but. Um, <laughs> Um, it was just a sign to the Tibetan monks that might be right, watching wrestling <laughs> on a Saturday. <laughs> I heard a story about some Tibetan monks that watch wrestling on Saturday um, on their leisure time. And uh, I kind of went with that and I said, okay, I'll send a signal out to those monks. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of twofold. Um, but yeah, that's what it was. Oh, darn. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, I've I've seen it a couple times where I'm like, what is he doing? And I, you yeah. know, I I never asked until now, but I figure now is no, a good time. No, no, man, Pete, no one's asked me for quite a while actually. But yes, yeah, good question. Yeah, uh, and that's the honest two answers, you know, to Z and also for the Tibetan monks. No, I'll be damned. All right, so the West Texas Outlaws and how to really misread your audience. Um, first off, were any of those guys from West Texas? No, and I thought right there, honestly, I thought, man, when I heard word going around about that, I thought, my name's going to get dropped in on this because, you know, Southern Wrestler and uh, Redneck and uh, Rap is Crap and all that, but it was already clicked in with them. You know, the guys that got it were, you know, a little bit higher on the card than myself uh, because there were some things floating around that, you know, they're going to do this and do that. And um, I just tell someone the other day, for myself, is like when Rob Van Dam was going to be, um, he was Mr. Monday Night. Yeah. Um, and uh, they was going to, I called in, they was like, we're going to make you Mr. Saturday Night, Bobby. We're going to start getting a bunch of wins on Saturday. You're going to be our Mr. Saturday Night. I'm like, oh, that's great, you know. And uh, they go, but for right now, we need you got there and put over Scott Pesky. I'm like, okay. 
so, uh, and, I, and, I, and I had actually traveled with Scott that night. That was a funny thing. We had traveled with him in Syracuse and Albany and up in there. And for whatever reason, we got hooked up together. <laughs> and uh, and so I was like, okay, whatever. Had a good little match. Um, but then the next week, I went and um, Terry Taylor wasn't there any longer. And it was Arn. I got called into the war room. It was down in Florida, like Sarasota. And uh, I, I was talking talking to him. And uh, I said, well, this is what I was told. You know, and he goes, well, Terry's not here, Bobby. And, you know, we're just talking. Two gentlemen discussing business. <laughs> and he goes, uh, just, um, he goes, well, who you got tonight? And I said, uh, Alex Wright. And he said, oh, just go out there and have a good match with Alex. Um, and I had already wrestled Alex once before I rolled, cause I rolled out his uh, – German suplex, but uh, he had had a, he had had a serious head injury after that at some point, and Arms just said, "Hey, uh, just go out there and have a good match, put Alex over, um, just do a double little knockout thing, stay strong this time, and have a double knockout." And uh, if Alex says anything, tell him to see me. And when I went to see Alex, he's like. Uh, in his German accent, but hey, like Bobby, Bobby uh, had a head injury. Um, just uh, uh, double. Did you get the double knock? And I'm like, yeah. We'll just do something, bumping each other. And you pin me, like, yeah. So the second time was a lot easier, a lot, e- lot more fun. But um, uh, again, there with Mister Saturday Night. <laughs> so yeah, that was last funny. week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so the. the- I just kind of wanted to hit this one real quick because I thought yeah. this was kind of funny that the group was supposed to be called the West Texas Outlaws. And of course, you know, that was there was a band and that was a whole movement in country music. Mm-hmm. Um, West Texas Redneck was supposed to be a put down that was used against them. But WCW forgot they were a southern wrestling company and a lot of their audience still weren't uh, urban hip hop fans. Yeah. Uh, well, Matt was a Master P yeah. come in from uh, New Orleans and that group and stuff. And they had uh, the big guy, four by four, um, a, a couple other big guys, that was, you know, big, strong guys. That was uh, his bodybuilders and had wrestled, I guess. And but the people weren't buying the, the rap. You yep. know what I'm saying? They weren't behind it. And so when they started doing the rap is crap and this and that, the people started getting behind the supposed heels, you know? Yep. So uh, kind of turned herself face without even trying to turn herself face, not knowing your audience like you put there. Misread yeah, your audience, rather. Read, yeah, read your audience, know the room, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's important for everybody, not just wrestlers. It's important in sales and yeah. everything else. <laughs> but I just wanted to hit that because yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. First off, I don't look at Kurt Henning and think cowboy yeah um i i okay so my grandson tells me the other day he wants to be a cowboy right mm-hmm. and i say hey you know my dad was a cowboy and he goes well what happened to your dad i go he died and he goes well who shot him that's <laughs> well first off that's a gunfighter not a cowboy yeah <laughs> and it turns out his liver shot him so you know yeah or his uh, liver shot yeah one of the two <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i just i just thought that was funny you don't look at kurt hanning and think yeah. cowboy you you no. look at jerry seinfeld and think more cowboy than you do kurt hanning you know yeah, um, I see the episode of him running the cowboy boots the other day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I came across this statement or sentiment in a few places. Uh, nobody, like, said, like so-and-so, because I'm sure nobody wants this hung around their neck. But apparently, Kurt Hanning was known for being able to get stiffs and newbies through matches and make them look good. I, I can see that, because um, he was very, very talented. Um, and I can see him 
his gimmick, you know, making himself look so good, mm-hmm. he can make them look good. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. You got someone in there that doesn't know a whole lot. And here, here's like four things that Henning done really, really well that I wrote down here. That he done in just about every match, not necessarily every time in every match, but a variation. He had a great drop kick. He could do a standing. And so, you know, you just got a guy, you just tell him, you know, when I shoot you off the ropes, I'm going to give you a drop kick, you know. The guy doesn't have to know very much other than, you know, how to hit the rope and and, and then get kicked, Yeah, you know. So um, he did that perfect plex for his finish, that fisherman uh, suplex that he did. Um, You know, again, it's just uh, getting down on the guy wrestling, uh, locking behind his uh, head and underneath his uh, underhooking his leg, going over that perfect bridge and pinning him. So, again, it'd be easy to get someone – over just you know have them move around a little bit and then then put them in put them into that hold you know yeah uh, for the for the finish if you were lost uh, so i can see that uh he did the figure four some so um once again you can you know uh whether the guy's working with you or not you can just tell him stay relax you know uh, uh meet you in the middle stay there or he start kicking the leg and then um also that rolling um uh, neck snap he did. Guy's just basically on his butt. Kirk can say stay, say out of a snap mare or whatever he put him in, and you know stay or give him a stiff kick in the back to make him stay right there. Then he would jump over and put both hands behind her neck, you know, flip through. Yeah, like he did again. He's doing all the motion. The other guy just has to sell. So, um, and that's one thing I wanted to bring up too. So does that makes sense. He, I can see him getting a lot of guys through matches very easily because he's so talented. Then you get someone that knows a little bit, you know, like that uh, can you kick good? Yeah, you know, if I'd known, maybe I had five minutes with him. What can you do good? You know, okay, give me that kick. And Kurt Henning could sell, really. He was one of the best bump takers, you know, whether it was off one of the superstars or someone else. He would, you know, he would take these phenomenal bumps, sometimes overselling everything. Um, I think him and Owen used to have contests sometimes as who would take the wildest bump on the card that night, you know. But you give him that kick to the back of the leg while he's grabbing the top rope and he does a complete flip over and then sells his leg. Again, it wouldn't take so – if the guy just knew how to kick and Henning's, you know, walking towards the rope and he just you know, kicked me and, and the guy kicks him, Henning does the rest, you yeah. know. Um, same thing with a um, uh, just a punch. Uh, if way his hair was and he just threw his head back if you if you come close to hitting him uh you know give me a right or whatever he could he could be down there he could judge it himself how far or how how close you let the guy get to him i would imagine uh if if again we're, if it's a guy that's a stiff or a rookie as you're saying or you know he he would he would judge that himself you know what i'm saying like I know how close to get to this guy, you know, I'm going to yeah. sell it after I get punched. So yeah, I can see that, um, you know, uh, that's just being professional. And I think, sure. uh, he probably had, he had unlimited talent and unlimited resources to work with, um, from those early AWA days, you know, to, to learn to get over and, um, uh, same thing with the ribs being around the business. Uh, same thing uh, speaking when he went behind the mic and all these things. We might as well just say he was just perfect, Jeremy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, one more thing here. I think I'll go over. 
Uh, yeah, there's one last thing. Now, I, I, I tried to work out the dates, and it looks like... So, I saw a thing that said he was the longest reigning WWF IC champ of the 1990s. Um, but this would have put him in 1990, and it would have been two reigns in the same year of 406 days, which is right... Not too far from Honky Tonk Man, which is the longest reigning one. Um, yeah. but he still would have been champ if it weren't for the back injury. Um, and he was asked if he could do a three minute match to put the title on Bret Hart. And he went ahead and did a full 15. Um, mm. and you know, Bret Hart, this is where his ascendancy really started. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I just thought that was worth mentioning is something that was kind of cool because, yeah. you know, he, he did business. He did what he was supposed to do. Right. Um, you know, he worked hurt, which probably wasn't the best move ever, but you know, he did what he had to do. Yeah. Um, but he was, I mean, you know, what do you, what can you say about Kurt Henning besides completely professional? Yeah. The, uh, the only little tip that I had to tell you, um, before we close that out was I've mentioned off the air, apparently the, the, <clears throat> on his first reign, the IC belt that he's holding the picture. <clears throat> and fact check this for me, please, folks. Um, I had it on my phone. I didn't, didn't blow it up big enough. Apparently, the belt he was presented wasn't the IC, uh, that wasn't an Intercontinental Championship belt. It was one of the tag belts uh, because they were working on uh, fixing the, uh, upgrading the Intercontinental Championship belt. And apparently, Henning's holding it and he's holding it upside down near his waist. I know the picture out there. So, um, Anyone uh, finds that uh, apparently when he first won that title, the first couple times he was on TV with it, it was a tag team belt and he carried it upside upside down, uh, so it wouldn't be as noticeable. I'm so, gonna have to check that out. I didn't. I never. I never caught yeah, that. Yeah, me too. I'm a, yeah. I, again, I was on my phone. I looked at the picture and I blew it up and I couldn't get it to to get big enough to see if the belt was upside down, if it said tag or what it said, the way his hand was. So yeah. Um, I'm back online now, obviously, so I'm going to take a look at that, too. Yeah. So um, I know we're getting ready to wind down here, but I know we also got a couple of programs lined up in the future. So Yeah. Well, um, you know, um, next week we are going to have on Brendan, uh, I'm sorry, Brendan Martin, who is Christine Jarrett's, you know, from Memphis, grandson and biographer, author of the book Teeny. We're going to have him on next week. I'm really looking forward to that. That should be a fun Okay. Episode. Yeah, I met him at WrestleCade a few years back. Uh, very nice gentleman. Um, if you, I assume that you have spoken to him already. Just by um, email, just by email yeah, real well, quick. I, I knew what you meant, yeah. yeah. So has he been confirmed then for next week? Yeah, uh, yeah. we just need to nail okay. down nail down how we're doing it, and that's it. Okay, good, because I've, I've read the first chapter. Um, you and I agreed to download the book, um, help him out in sales, and also know what the hell we're talking about mm -hmm. here. But uh, I'm looking forward to having uh Brennan on the show next week. That sounds good. If not, we'll replace it and get him on another week. But we are, that is something we are working on. Yep. Uh, we're also working on another author, possibly in the future. And then we're looking at um, maybe someone from another podcast coming on in the future, too. That's just going down the line to let you know what's going on. We're going to have a top 10 coming up. Um, trying to think of who it was. I'm drawing a blank, but we'll... We'll go back to a top 10 format on one. I know we had someone in mind, but I forgot who it was, Jeremy. Oh, God. So, you know what? I, it's, on, it's on our list, I'm sure. Yeah, it's on our list. We had yeah. our list yet. Yeah, we were going to do another, you know, top 10. But um, anyway, with that said, I'm going to log off here. I want everyone to have a good week. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Uh, 
make sure you send us a review. Just be fair and honest is all we ask you. And um, uh, thanks for tuning in, man. And Professor, I hope I didn't break up too much this week. I didn't sound like you fell off any at all on your end. So uh, if it fell off any, that's on me. But um, folks, take care of each other out there. Take care of yourself. And, um, you know, spring is upon us, man. So uh, just take care of yourself out there and get out and enjoy some weather. Enjoy, enjoy the weather cold beer and a book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I get my second vaccine tomorrow. So, Oh, I'm about a week away. I think yeah. so. I'm, What's the uh, day? Uh, yeah, I'm sometime. Um, I might be early late this week, early next week. Yeah. So I was going to say you got, it goes good for you. Yeah. You got yours right after mine. So I knew yours. Yeah. I got mine on the 17th of last month. So, yeah. Um, Right on. Yeah, okay, so, so hopefully we're on the tail end of this fucking thing now. Yeah, yeah, uh, I hope so. Yeah. Well, with that being said, everybody, thank you for uh, thank you for listening this week. Please, if you got anything to say about Kurt Henning or any other topic, get a hold of us on Twitter. Uh, that's at BobbyBlaze744 at the Geekish Cast, and you can hit our join account account at at Bell to Bell Blaze for. The late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B Bobby Blaze. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs>